Welcome to another episode of Buckeye Dads Discuss. I'm Josh. And I'm Andy. We're your hosts for today. Uh, Andy, how's your week been? Uh, it's been pretty good. I, I Honestly, I, I can't even remember what I did this week, so it must not have been <laughs> too stressful. Just another week in the books. I can't say much more than that. How about you? This week has been crazy stressful. Uh, I don't have enough information to really go into anything right now, so we'll cross our fingers and wait and see. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just another another crazy week in the Stoll household. So, all right, Andy. So we kind of previewed this at the end of the last episode. Uh, you know, we're probably gonna turn off a bunch of listeners today, but it's, it's something that you can't avoid in 2020. Today is going to be part one of our politics deep dive, and today we're going to be focusing. Mostly on the issues. So um, for any Trump fans, I, I can't imagine there are too many Trump fans that listen to us. Uh, you'll largely be spared this episode. Uh, that will be next episode where we'll really dive into the two candidates uh, right after the debate next week. But Andy, we're going to talk some issues today. What do you think? Let's do it. Okay. So before we dive, start diving into specific issues, uh, I kind of want to just take a step back and talk about politics, the big picture of politics for you and I. So, Andy, why don't you start us off? Like, talk me through. Do you consider yourself a political person? When did you start getting interested in politics? Uh, what kind of uh, importance do they take in your daily life? I think I would describe uh, both both my politics and just my kind of interest and involvement in politics as a bit of a rubber band. So there's you know, times where it's a lot more kind of salient in my life and there's times where it's a lot less. So I would say it really started in high school, probably a shout out to Mr. Nestor, uh, senior year government. I think it was probably the first time I really took any kind of an interest and it was a very naive interest in politics. And I think I found myself coming down on the more conservative side of things because maybe it was more interesting. Maybe it was just the, the group of people that we hung out with. And I'm not sure I really knew what I was doing or what I was talking about. Um, but I found it interesting. I, I just didn't really know what, was, what I was doing. Um, college happened. I would say I definitely rubber banded back a lot further to the left there. Um, I think probably as a lot of people when they're in college do take a lot more liberal view on things. Um, and I'll be honest, after college ended, I think I, I had a little bit of a downturn in my interest in politics. I was kind of trying to figure out my own life and, and I was taking a little bit smaller view, a little bit more micro view of things. Um, but I would say the last, I don't think it, it necessarily has to do with the administration right now, but I would say the last probably three to four years, I, I've been a lot more interested because I think you just have to be. Um, I think becoming a parent honestly made me take a lot more of a, a broader view of things because it wasn't just about what was necessarily relevant to my own life, but it's about creating a better world for the family that I've created. So I would say the last three years, I would say I've been a lot more political than ever. And in this year certainly has been politics has been more important than ever. And I was maybe more passively political before where I kind of was interested, but wouldn't say things. And I feel like I've really found a little bit of my political voice this these last six months or so how about you for sure yeah um man for me kind of a similar path um high school i would say i was not a very political person uh you know again it's kind of set the stage andy and i are in high school 
uh, you know, in the early part of the 2000s, uh, early to mid uh, 2000s. Uh, so we're at the tail end. Uh, we're we're in the Bush years, um, and we transition into the Obama years uh, when we go off to college. Politics for me in the beginning in high school it was largely just a way for you and I to intellectually, you know, joust and just go back and forth, um, you know, on any number, you know, any number of issues. But obviously, political issues are both interesting and convoluted and. You know, there's a lot of different sides you can take. Uh, certainly, you can just take the opposite side as somebody else just to have an argument, which I'm sure we did multiple times. No, never. <laughs> um, I distinctly remember uh, in Miss uh, Miss Seifert's class, our senior year, AP Language and Composition, uh, we had 50 minutes to write an, uh, an in-class essay on just whatever issue that you wanted to discuss. And I think I wrote like five sides of loose leaf in 40 minutes on affirmative action and how it was the worst thing in the world. Um, and, and my opinion has certainly come a long way since then. Um, but at the time it was just something that I was really motivated by, by my very limited experience that I had, uh, you know, growing up and, and being in, you know, largely white classes, uh, largely advantage, uh, uh, type situations in comparison to a lot of people. And so, you know, high school is just, you know, something more intellectual than anything else. College, I can't say that I was very political at all. I would have voted for Obama both times. Um, but in 2008, I was living in, I think we were still living in the dorms. And I was like, is my permanent address in Toledo or in Columbus? How do I even do this? I was like, ah, it's not worth it. Um, didn't vote 2012. I was like, uh, you know, I still like Obama. This is cool. But, you know, again, uh, I think I was living in, oh, I think I had just come home from Wisconsin um, or was going off to Wisconsin at that point. So, again, I was like, where do I vote? I don't know how to do this. Uh, and I didn't vote. Um, so the first election I ever voted in was in 2016. Um, and I would say from about 2015, uh, in the primaries, uh, for both sides, I watched a ton of debates. And like you said, I think it really, once you become a parent, it's not just what is your situation? What is going to be the best for me? It's also what is the world going to be like for my kids, for my grandchildren? Uh, you know, we really have to take a long-term approach now. Uh, and that now that we're parents, and so since I would say about 2015, 2016, uh, I've been very interested in politics. It's something I've read a lot more on, listen to podcasts, actively participate. Um, I've donated to the Biden campaign multiple times. Good for you. Uh, I've tried to reach out to some people who seem on the fence about voting at all um, and just try and stress how important it is to participate um, in our uh democratic republic um so definitely something that's more important to me now um but has not always been that way so andy a thing that i think goes hand in hand with this you know you and i have our feelings um but obviously we live in a large social circle with our our, our immediate families our extended families our friend circles 
And one thing that I think is very common for a lot of people to say, um, and certainly something that I've heard in my own life, uh, is, you know, you want to talk about something, you think that there's some urgent, important issue uh, that deserves discussion. You know, we like to think that we hang, our, hang around with people who are intelligent or who care about, you know, us and, and what we think about the world. And a lot of times we'll get something along the lines of, you know, I don't want to talk about politics. Why do you want to talk about politics so much? Can't we just watch this football game or, you know, have this nice family dinner and just not talk about this kind of stuff? Uh, what's your kind of visceral reaction uh, when you hear something like that? That was me for a long time. So I can't, I can't be too hard, but same time, th this is the stuff that really matters. So, so as someone who used to be the guy that, that, you know, yeah, I don't really know about politics. I don't know. I, I don't have a whole lot of opinion to the guy now that, that absolutely wants to press that issue, even if it's uncomfortable. I think it just matters too much not to talk about it. And especially with the people that are around us, the people that we care about and the people that, that frankly, we may have a little bit of influence over the people. I mean, you know, you're someone whose opinion I respect. So if, if we're sitting around watching the football game, and, and you bring up politics, you're someone I'm going to listen to and say, I respect that guy enough to kind of take what he's saying to heart. So I think because the stakes are so high, I think we have to bring it up, even if it's uncomfortable, even if people would maybe rather take an easier approach and kind of just, just push it off to the side. I think it's so important that that we have to talk about it. Yeah, for sure. So I would echo a lot of that. Um, I just think that and I just think that what you think about politics, you know, and I'm using politics and I think we're going to use it throughout this podcast as, as kind of just a, an umbrella for, you know, what's going on in the country, in our state, in the world. Um, you know, not everything necessarily is pure politics, what happens in a state house or in the Capitol or in Washington, D.C., uh, but just, you know, the major topics that our country has to worry about. Um, you know, whether they be you know, more science-based or, you know, economy-based or education-based, you know, all of those things are governed by people who, you know, are largely in Washington, D.C. and may share some of our views and may dramatically differ in other views. Um, and the same thing with the people in our lives. So, you know, when you say, I don't want to talk about politics, to me, it's just, you know, you're shutting off a very large portion of your of yourself. I mean, surely you have an opinion um, on these things, even if the opinion is I don't know enough about this to say something. I mean, that is still an opinion. Um, in today's day and age, for me, you know, I would much rather you say I don't know enough about this to weigh in than weighing in on something that you don't know anything about and acting like you are the authority on that subject. Um, but you know, how you feel about marginalized groups and how you feel about science and how you feel about the direction the country is going and what we're going to leave for future generations. That's just the really important thing to me. And for you to just say, oh, this is not something that we should really discuss. You know, it just kind of makes me wonder, you know, I mean, what does that say for future generations? I think that's a really important point you make too. I think people are, are very hesitant to get into politics because it is intimidating and there's no way you could know all the issues. There's no way you can know everything someone stands for. 
And I think it's important for people to know that's okay. I mean, you, you said that you'd rather somebody say, I'm not sure I know enough to, to talk about that intelligently rather than to say, to, to give an opinion that's maybe half formed or, or based on Facebook science or something like that. And, and, <laughs> You'll, you'll probably, I'm, I'm sure there will be issues that we talk about today that I'll be comfortable saying, you know what, I don't know if I know enough about that. And, and that's okay. The important thing is to take an interest in something bigger than just yourself, bigger than just the, the small world around you and understand that everyone's not just our vote. I mean, our vote, but not just our vote. Everything we do affects the society around us. And if we want a better life for ourselves, for the people that come after us, I, we have to pay attention to these things because these are the big things that really matter for sure on all that. Um, and just kind of in the same lane as what we're talking about right now. So, I mean, I totally get it, right. You work a long, hard week and Sunday rolls around and you just want to watch some NFL football and the anthem starts playing and you see people kneeling and you're like, Oh, why do we have to talk about politics? Why do they have to, to demonstrate during the national anthem can't i just watch my football game in peace and when when i hear that i just all i think is well that person thinks that you know no matter what's really going on in the world right now the situation is okay enough for me that i'm okay with just ignoring what's going on if there are people who are having a really tough time who are crying out for change and the fact that things are not okay right now, you know, that's not, you know, you're acting like that's not important to you. And that's just something that I really struggle with. You know, yes, I understand that people need to look out for their families and make the best decision for their families. And, you know, I agree with that. You know, I'm sure you and I do that all the time in our normal day-to-day decision-making. But, you know, it's just the acknowledgement to say that there are people who maybe aren't doing okay right now and change uh, some kind of government action, some kind of awareness, even just having this conversation uh, and being more aware of what's going on in the world, that could help somebody. Um, And that's kind of what I always come back to when I hear that. I absolutely think being willing to have the conversation in the first place and then being able to have that conversation in an open and honest way and acknowledge the fact that we live in a great country. It may be the greatest country in the world. I don't know. I could say that because our neighbors to the north are a damn fine country. They gave us the sport of hockey. 3-3 going into the third period, by the way. Game four of the Stanley Cup finals. Absolute barn burner. I'm not paying attention to that. Though. I'm paying attention to you guys out there. We live in a great country, but part of being great, whether it's as a person, whether it's as a nation, is giving a real honest look at yourself and saying, we may be great, but there are definitely some things that we can do better. And I think we have to be able to have these conversations openly and acknowledge the fact that while we're doing a lot of things right, there is certainly room for improvement in a lot of different areas. Yes, a lot of different areas, I would say. Um, And again, that doesn't mean that you don't love America when you say, oh, there are things that are horrible, you know, things that really need to be improved. Um, You know, we criticize because we love we criticize because we want to do better uh you know for both ourselves our our children uh, and for everyone else in society around us so um it's certainly not a uh you know it's certainly not just being negative for the sake of being negative nobody's moving 
to Sweden or Norway. Nobody's moving to Canada even. Maybe you, but uh, most most everybody else is going to stay here, right here in the U.S. of A. Um, and, you know, so we just want to talk about some of these issues, kind of lay out where we think about them. They will, you know, certainly kind of uh, give some background to what we're going to be discussing as the months go on as we get closer to the election. Um, and then, you know, obviously, depending on how the election goes, um, you know, I don't, I don't really know if we get four more years of Trump, then there might be a whole lot of this still as things, um, go in a direction that, uh, you and I don't particularly agree with and, and feel like, uh, you know, needs to be highlighted what the changes need to be. Um, and it could be that very same way if Biden ends up becoming president. Um, but you know, I think, you know, I long for the days where I didn't have to think about and worry about this stuff. Uh, you know, back to that time where it was kind of just like, oh, politics is politics and it doesn't really matter in my day-to-day life. Uh, but I think, you know, you and I are at the point now where it's really hard to justify that stance. Could not agree more with that. I, I absolutely would love to just maybe not pay attention to what's going on in the news anymore, but, but it's exactly what you said. It's too important. Well, on a personal level, you know, on a, on a local, you know, a city that we love and care about level and on a national level, it would be great to be able to just say, Hey, that's somebody else's problem to solve, but, but it's not, it's our problem to solve. It's our leader's problem to solve, but it, it's all of our problems to solve. So I, yeah, I, I can't co-sign on that more that it's, we have to talk about these issues because they absolutely matter. Okay. Andy, um, one thing I, before we continue on, um, I feel like party identity has really uh, dramatically increased over the last, you know, four to eight years or so. What? Uh, yeah, yes, I know. So surprise, surprise. Um, and I think it's kind of weird. Like, I don't, I, I don't know how you feel. Um, I, like I said earlier, I would have voted for Obama twice. I did vote for Hillary Clinton. Um, I will a thousand per- percent be voting for Joe Biden here in um, a, a month and a half or so. Um, so yeah, that's you know four Democrats in a row. Um, I don't particularly strongly identify as being a Democrat. Um, you know, I'm not old enough, and I don't have enough of a voting history to be like I'm always going to vote blue no matter what. Um, it certainly is to me more of a as of right now, the Democratic Party aligns with mostly with what I believe and where I want the country to go, and that's why I support them. If that were to somehow radically change from a platform and policy perspective, I would have no issue voting for some other candidate and some other party. Um, how? But I've been pretty consistent. I mean, I don't. I don't think I would ever really have had a phase where I would describe myself as a Republican. Uh, how would you describe yourself in that way? Yeah. So I think there may have been a time where I could have described myself that way. Um, I think I probably lean a little bit traditionally, certainly a little bit further right than you do. Um, and just working in a, you know, I, I work in a field that, that we'll say, we'll call it social work because that's probably the, the closest thing to, to accurate. I definitely lean a further right than most other people. So socially, I would say I'm fairly far to the left because I don't really care. I, I, 
hundred percent just think that that we need to leave each other alone and kind of let people do what they want to do. Yeah. Fiscally, I tend to be a little bit conservative, but probably push myself a little bit further left every year. So I'm sure by the end of it, I'll, I'll be as, as blue as the shirt you're wearing today. But yeah, I, th- I think there's a time that maybe I could have called myself a little bit more conservative, but I think those days are probably also behind us. And I, I don't, at this point, I don't see myself heading back that way anytime soon. Hmm, interesting. So do you think that, you know, so it's pretty stereotypical to say that our generation, millennials, we are largely uh, progressive, we are largely democratic, um, you know, but the old folks always like to say the older you get, the more conservative you become, you know, when you're the people who, you know, are heading towards retirement and you maybe have, uh, you know, some dollar dollar bills in your 401k. Um, and you start worrying about what that tax rate is going to be. Um, you know, I would say the generation below us is even more uh, seemingly progressive and, and liberal. Um, do you think that's something, do you think our generation is going to transition that way? Or do you think that, you know, we finally have a sea change and what the current Republican Party stands for is going to be something that largely we outgrow unless they shift their uh, philosophy or, you know, platform. Well, I certainly hope that we stay <laughs> as liberal as we've been. Um, I think our generation has done a lot. I think socially, I think we're definitely, I think our generation will probably stay pretty liberal. Fiscally, I think it'll be a lot more interesting, like you said, as, you know, we kind of grow into our later years where we have 401ks, we have the stock market to worry about. I think that'll be interesting to see and and it'll be interesting to see if kind of the Democrat party comes a little bit more fiscally conservative to, to appeal to us, or if the Republican party becomes a little bit more socially liberal to appeal to us. So I think that'll be a really interesting way to see the way that things shake out, but no, I I don't see our generation becoming, you know, getting more and more Republican as we get older. I, I don't see, I don't think that our generation is going to be able to abide this, the social views that the Republican party has. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm wondering if there's, you know, ever going to be some point where we'll have either, you know, a third party or just one of the parties will move to something that's more socially liberal, uh, but fiscally conservative. Um, our generation is in a pretty unique perspective. So Andy, one of my favorite things that I see on Facebook and by favorite, I mean, makes me want to stab my eyeballs out um, is you'll see those memes where I was like, oh, millennials think they had it so bad. And, and then it, you know, lists something like, you know, boomers had the fight in World War II or, and, you know, and all the tough things that they had to go through. You know, my favorite ones are like, oh yeah, you know, can't find a job and, and, you know, I, I, I love it when then I was advised to, you know, oh, walk your resume into into the place of business and give it to an HR person. That's how you get an interview. Um, and just all these things that just, like, don't apply to our generation anymore. You know, our generation that went through uh, the Great Recession in, uh, you know, 2008, 2009, in the, uh, in the late part of that decade and into the next decade. Uh, we're now the only generation that's been hit twice with this, uh, you know, and what we currently are in now, a second recession, you know, we couldn't, you know, just have one parent work a 40 hour a week job 
and buy a house and send their kids to college and have three, three or four kids. Um, there's just so many things that, you know, previous generations were able to do where the first generation that is on track to, you know, be less financially well off than the generation or two before them. Um, so I see all those things and I'm just like, okay, cool. Like, cool story. You know, when you need me to come over and reset your router so you can get back on the internet, like we'll talk about, you know, what things are essential in 2020 to be able to know how to do. Can't, can't argue with that. Um, yeah, I mean, those are obviously frustrating. I mean, I work in a house where we have four jobs between two people and, you know, we're, yeah, we send our kids to, to private school, but that's about the only indulgence we give ourselves. And, and we're working four jobs between the two of us just trying to make it. And it's, it's, I mean, the professional job, all four of them are professional jobs. It's not like somebody's picking up hours at the local McDonald's. And I mean, we're working four professional jobs trying to, to make ends meet. I don't, I don't know if our parents ever necessarily went through that, that kind of a situation. So yeah, I mean, that, that's one of those memes that, that you go, you scroll past and you wonder, should I get rid of this person? Should I hide their feet or should I keep it so I can know what kind of monster I'm up against next Thanksgiving? Oh yeah. Um, the, uh, mute, the mute per, uh, button on Facebook and just not being able to see people's feeds is definitely, definitely your friend. Um, and this is not a, this is not just a let's crack on boomers podcast. You know, obviously, uh, you know, I, we have good relationships with our parents and, and, and they work very hard to give us the good lives that we have now. And so it's just a recognition that, Hey, um, you know, things have definitely changed. A lot has changed, um, you know, in our 32 years uh, on this earth and things are just a lot different than they were when our parents were growing up. Um, and not to say that it's any better or worse, um, but just to acknowledge that, Hey, things are different. Um, and it's going to require um, a different perspective and maybe a different set of skills to, to be successful now than it was um, back in the day. So. Absolutely. Um, so one thing to touch on, and then we, I promise we will finally start breaking down some issues um, right before we were set to record last week. Uh, didn't make it into the show. Uh, the notorious RGB Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, passed away. Uh, she, I believe, was the first wo- woman ever to be laid at rest uh, in D.C., uh, which is crazy uh, when you think about how long we've been in the country and how long we've been doing that. Yeah, that was absolutely shocking to me. I, I read that, I think it was this afternoon, and I, I couldn't believe that she was the first one. Absolutely deserving of the honor, but I think it says a lot about our country that it's 2020, and that's the first time that we've had a woman lie in state. Yeah, so obviously she you know, has a long legacy of being uh, a very liberal justice on the Supreme Court, fighting very hard for uh, issues of equality between men and women. Um And this is all now circling uh, to what we're going to be dealing with over the next month. Uh, There's a Supreme Court vacancy. Trump, by all means, has the ability uh, to fill that seat. Uh, There's no, you know, one can make the philosophical argument that a president who's been impeached, who lost the popular vote by several million votes, who 
uh, is trying to appoint a justice right now while people are voting right now, um, early voting that, you know, that is not really on the up and up. Uh, but from a legal and constitutional perspective, there's really nothing uh, that can stop him. Uh, the Senate has enough votes based on how uh, Republican senators have said they are going to vote to confirm anybody who they want. Uh, and it just was officially confirmed. Um, it was highly likely um, uh, in, over this past week that it was going to be Amy Coney Barrett, uh, but it's now been reported that she officially will be Trump's selection uh, to replace uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the Supreme Court. Uh, Andy, that we're getting way into the weeds to try and uh, you know discuss the legal opinions of somebody who is not yet on the Supreme court, but there's two things I just want to throw at you uh, based on all the reading I've done about her over the past couple of days. Uh, one, uh, she's Catholic and she hates abortion, which those two often go hand in hand. Uh, that's not really a huge surprise. Uh, she, I believe will be the sixth Catholic on the Supreme court. So in combination of her and uh, Joe Biden, who's also Catholic, and Sonia Sotomayor, who is a current justice and is Catholic. I have a hard time uh, giving merit to the arguments that Democrats hate her purely because she's a Catholic. Um, but that is thing number one about her. And I mean, that kind of makes sense. Uh, I think the stereotype that Republicans just have a huge boner for the Supreme Court seems to be fairly true. Uh, and, you know, I would definitely say that Roe versus Wade, if she were to be appointed, would definitely be in some jeopardy. Um, and that can have, you know, unintended results that we can't even imagine at this point. Yeah, that's a scary thought. Um, j just from the very little bit that I've read, it seems like a lot of the progress that we've made over the last... 30 years i mean our, our lifetimes maybe a little bit longer than that is in jeopardy and that 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 is just terrifying yeah i'm gonna save my thoughts uh, on the subject for later because you know i need to put my you know radioactive suit on and get all the required ppe before we delve into that topic uh is not to be done lightly but the second point about her that i wanted to mention and i think should really be emphasized over the next 45 days or so is that she has written criticism on judge Roberts decision to uphold the affordable care act. Um, for those people who don't know what I'm talking about um, at some point since Obamacare became law, there was a Supreme court challenge to it. Uh, Chief justice Roberts, a Republican uh, sided with the four liberal justices at that point, upholding Obamacare as law. Um, and uh, Amy Coney Barrett has written uh, criticism that she she disagrees with that ruling um, and that decision by Judge Roberts. So this is really the big uh, one for me, Andy. I mean, um, Obamacare has been around for just about a decade now. Um, maybe we've started to take for granted some of the things that it has given us and, you know, our generation wouldn't really have known about the dark days before that, but you know, health insurance companies not having to cover people with pre-existing conditions, being able to cap the amount of money that they pay towards treatments for such people, 
Um, you know, I'd say many people in our generation were on their parents' insurance until 26. That was due to Obamacare. Um, you know, all of these things that really, uh, you know, are super important hallmarks to what healthcare is now. Uh, I believe, and again, I'm waiting out of my area of expertise, but I believe there was a lower court ruling that ruled against Obamacare. The Trump administration is in court right now to try to strip away Obamacare from, uh, you know, a, a court perspective. And if we were to end up with a 6-3 conservative Supreme Court, you know, Obamacare could be struck down. There is no backup health care uh, plan in place by Republicans. So all of these things that, you know, are super important um, in the healthcare landscape, uh, it is not, you know, chicken little to say that those things could go away and the healthcare industry could be dramatically altered again for the worse. Yeah, I don't think there's any denying that the healthcare system that we have right right now, the healthcare system that we've had traditionally in this country, is certainly far, far, far from perfect. But to 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 switch to flip flop from you know some of the progress that we've made and, and ironing out some of the kinks maybe of, of the Obamacare to then go back to starting something completely from scratch, I think is a, a scary proposition, especially when it's in conservative hands. Yeah. I mean, again, 20 more, 20 million more people have health insurance because of Obamacare. Uh, health insurance is expensive enough as it is when you do actually have a plan as somebody who's still paying off baby number three, uh, 15 months later and will be for the foreseeable future. You know, there's, there's so many things uh, that the healthcare system does not allow for right now that we desperately need. And just to even consider the fact that we might go backwards on that is just really, uh, is just really troubling. So hopefully um, it doesn't come to that. Um, like I said, I don't think there's really a whole lot that uh, Democrats can do to stop it. The Senate has the votes uh, to make it happen. Um, the only thing that could really stop it maybe is a, you know, a blue wave in November and some Republican senators get cold feet about voting for somebody who is no longer has that mandate because Trump's not in office. Uh, but we'll just, we'll just have to see. You know, one thing that, that I've learned at my house with the whole healthcare situation is you don't necessarily have to rely on the healthcare system. If you just learn how to do things on your own. So one of the things I've tried to do because it's so damn expensive is to just try and figure out how to do some medical procedures on my own. Um, so if I can go into the weeds a little bit here, a little guy, during the COVID epidemic, it was absolutely the most terrifying thing we had to do. We stuck a Lego up his nose and we ended up in the emergency room. I want to say this was like the end of April, May, like when things were, were real dicey here. Uh -huh. And we were lucky enough to have a nurse that taught us a technique of if you plug one of the nostrils and blow really hard into the other, or blow really hard into his mouth, he may shoot it out of his nose. So <laughs> little genius so, so we got it extricated that day, and I'm still literally still getting bills for it. I thought I had it paid off twice. I've now gotten the third bill. I don't know how they figure this out. I think they just make it up and just bill, and hey, if this guy's dumb enough to pay it, we'll take his money. So he did it again a couple of weeks ago, and instead of rushing to the emergency room and paying, you know, <laughs> enough to get a new transmission in the car, I uh, 
I use that little technique that I learned in the emergency room from from the kind nurse they shared with me, and lo and behold, the the second Lego shot right out. So that's always an option if things go really far south. I wouldn't suggest it for major procedures, but for something small, hey, it worked out for us. So what percentage that does that put you towards an MD? Like like three percent? I mean, it, it's certainly further than I was before. You know, he said that, that he actually had me do it. The first thing that we did in the emergency room that day was he actually had me do that because he said in about 50% of cases, if something stuck up a toddler's nose, it comes out that way. So, I mean, the percentage just played out in the ER. It did not come out when I tried it at home. It did. So the 50, 50 number held true. Yeah. I think I'm probably 2% of the way to an MD, but Hey, it, you know, every time I go, if I learn something else, by the, by the time I die, maybe I'll have some real medical skills under my belt. My honest reaction when you started the story was like, is he joking or is he serious? Like, <laughs> this is how much of a dystopian society like our healthcare is. It's like, you know, I was wondering if you were going to talk about like cauterizing wounds and like applying tourniquets and like, like, what are we talking about that? Like, you know, obviously, yes, if you, you know, if you're a parent there, I am certain there's some tips and tricks that are very helpful as far as uh you know what you can expect from your little kids uh we had our youngest uh tried to eat a leaf and he started choking um and we and i tipped him upside down and i gave him some pants on the back and he coughed it up and it was it was totally fine we avoided a trip to the er uh, those kind of things are going to happen and you know usually 10 minutes later you can stop hyperventilating and calm down and everything's okay but just the fact, I mean, there are so many people, I mean, even in our household, it's like, okay, you know, the kid is starting, you know, maybe that temperature is creeping up towards a hundred, you know, maybe there's diarrhea. It's been, it's been a day or two now. He's still mostly drinking. Okay. But is he getting enough fluids? And it's like, you know, it should always just be a, I should call a doctor, see what the doctor says. And if the doctor says, bring him in, bring him in. But the reality of the situation even for us, and I'm sure for many other people is, is this financially worth spending a hundred dollars to go to the doctor's office for them to say, Oh, they're just teething. You know, you don't need to do anything or, or, Oh, we go for our, our wellness checkup, but he needs uh, some eczema cream. And now our, our wellness visit that was covered turns into an actual treatment visit. That's not covered. And now there's another $120 on the drain. So the system we got now, let's just jump into it even a little bit more um, since we're, we're on this topic. Healthcare, healthcare reform. So I don't know how much of the debates that you watched on the Democrat side, but one of the main themes of all the debates is on one side you have uh, Medicare for All, spearheaded by Bernie, um, and a couple other people. On the other side you have Joe Biden, who is largely... Let's keep Obamacare, but strengthen it, fix the issues that are wrong with it, still keep the semblance of the current system in place. Andy, just talk about some of the experiences you've had kind of on the healthcare perspective and, and what you think about our current system. So, yeah, just going back to that personal level, I mean, it, it's absolute, it, it's sad, but that is absolutely 
a factor in deciding if you're going to get treatment. I mean, I dropped a knife on my foot three or four years ago and it ended up costing me over a thousand dollars to get it stitched back up. And if that happened again, there's not a chance in hell am I going to the emergency room again, knowing what it costs. It, I, the insurance I had at that time was relatively new to me and I figured, you know, a couple hundred bucks. Okay. I probably need to do that, but no way. Next time I'm trying to figure out how to stop that bleeding on my own. And, and that's not the way it should be. That's ridiculous that, that that's going to be, factored in but i mean gee, i can't afford a thousand dollars to for somebody and it was a it was a medical student to put a couple stitches in me i'll figure out how to do it myself so from a professional perspective i i guess i, I live a little bit you know not so much anymore but I, I i really lived in the world of behavioral health for a long time and I, when people would come to the door and say that they had private insurance it was it's absolutely a hindrance to getting appropriate at least behavioral health treatment for someone that has private insurance, the, the doors that are open, if you have Medicaid, are incredibly, it, it's incredibly easier to get treatment under the Medicaid system because there's just so much more that's reimbursable. There's, there's caps on therapy. There's, you can't even get case management through private insurance, through most private insurance. So uh, there, there's a lot of things that are just, just terribly wrong with our system. You know, you have people, I, I worked with a family professionally that the people worked at GM a place that you would think would, you know, have great insurance. And they did have great health insurance, but the behavioral health coverage was an absolute joke. And there was, uh, we were, our hands were so tied, we couldn't help this person at all. So I don't know if th this is one of those things that I, I said before, I would feel comfortable saying, I don't know if I know enough to talk about this. And I feel like maybe I know enough to talk about some of the problems. I, I certainly don't think I have a solution, but I can say that what we have going right now certainly needs a lot of help. Yeah. I mean, just to keep going on this topic, um, you know, I think if you were, you know, we, some aliens came to visit earth and they stopped in the United States and they were just learning about how we work or whatever, just the, you know, just to explain to them that for a large percentage of our population, uh, your health insurance is tied to your job just sounds crazy like just trying to explain that um and kind of the way you know i bring this to a personal level is you know like i've said before uh, our middle son is autistic so what goes along with that is lots of hours of you know uh, applied behavioral analysis therapy speech therapy occupational therapy um and it's the same thing as what you said. So we go to this place that offers speech and, and occupational therapy. And it's like, well, if you pay with insurance, it's more expensive and you know, it's going to take a long time to get processed and maybe some of it will be covered. Maybe some of it won't. If you just pay cash, it's, you know, X amount of dollars cheaper um, to the point where there's actually a significant difference for it to, you know, for you uh, to be incentivized to pay in cash. Um, and dealing with these billing places is just a nightmare. Um, and then, you know, we go to try and get our son into this. Uh, he's in a half-day program. Uh, he was. And we wanted to get him into a full-day program so he can get even more, uh, you know, treatment and learn more skills. And it's like, okay, well, we can add him to my wife's plan, which cover covers X amount of hours. But my plan doesn't cover those hours at all. Um, and so now I'm to the point where, you know, if at some point in the future, you know, I, I get another promotion or two and we could somehow afford to live just on my salary, which would never in a million years happen. But in this hypothetical world, 
I would still need her to work just because, you know, it's thousands and thousands of dollars that her insurance is going to cover that mine for some inexplicable reason doesn't. I'm not necessarily the biggest uh, proponent of Medicare for all. I mean, there is a line where the government managing everything does make me a little cautious, but Medicare and Medicaid are, you know, supposed to be Medicare in particular um, is something where, you know, people who are on Medicare are like, this is great. Like, it's very easy. A lot of things are covered. And you just said that Medicaid, you know, uh, works that way for a lot of people as well. Um, So I certainly see some advantages to either decoupling health insurance from your employer, doing some kind of, you know, nationalized, more centralized way to get healthcare to the country. Um, But again, I'm not going to say that I'm an expert and go into the nitty gritty of what that would entail. Um, But certainly we need to be trending in the direction of getting more people covered and getting more services covered and not eliminating pre-existing condition coverage and a whole bunch of other, um, you know, historic policies that only benefited the industry and did not benefit us, the patients. That is so ridiculous to me with, with the example that you gave with your son of something like ABA that absolutely has a huge research base. It's totally evidence-based. It's something that's been proven to work over and over again, to have to fight, to have to figure out the most optimal way for you guys to be able to cover that between the two of you or to decide if you want to pay out of pocket for a treatment that's just absolutely so, I mean, it's not a guess if it's going to work. It's going to work because it's an just top shelf mental health, behavioral health treatment. I, I think that's a great example of everything that's wrong with the system that we have right now that, that, you have something that you know would help. You both have presumably at least good, if probably not great insurance, and it's still that difficult of a decision, or not even a decision, but just so difficult to get him the treatment that he There's a lot wrong with, with our system. And I, I could probably go for for three episodes about everything that is wrong with the way that the healthcare system works. But I, but I think it's safe to say that, that there's a lot that needs to change. Yeah, and I don't, I think most people will agree with that across the aisle, all the way around. Um, you know, Republicans uh, tried to, I don't know how many votes there were to repeal Obamacare in at a point in time where Congress couldn't actually do it, uh, but they just did it symbolically because they were opposed to it. I still have not seen a single detailed, okay, we get rid of Ob- Obamacare somehow. What is going to be the replacement plan? I have not seen anything. Um, and I think it's more just uh, we want to get rid of Obamacare because it's the legacy of the last Democratic president. Um, but we don't really care. We don't think it's the government's job to make sure people have health insurance. And we're not going to care about how the industry handles that. Um, so I don't think there's much of a debate. I do think it's one of the top three or four most important things that government has to deal with. Um, so certainly either way, how this election goes, is going to be a... Uh, a big topic of conversation and how we're going to move forward. Um, something that I want to talk about next that kind of flows right into this. And it hurts my brain that in 2020, I'm going to put this on a list list of political issues that have two sides in quotation marks um, is just science. So the big <laughs> pillar of this is, is climate change. Um, 
but now you know since since this past year you can add uh you know vaccines and masks and uh you know just basic scientific method uh and to this topic and any of the i just can't handle it so if you're a person that that is out there thinking that something like is climate change happening still a debate i have a great resource i would like to send you in the direction of if you go to pbskids.org and click on eleanor wonders why it's a new show it's a great show it just started we've been looking forward to it in our house we've been watching it pretty much nonstop since it came out it's about this little rabbit. It's it's aimed at like six-year-olds, but if you're a person that wonders if climate change is real or not, that's probably developmentally appropriate for you to get your information from. It's about it's about making observations. It's about how science works. It's about saying, oh, so you know, so the example is she sees this insect and she wonders, is that an insect? Is it a leaf? So she decides to camp out and make a couple of different observations at different times and decide. That's how science works. So I'm just, I'm just going to point you in that direction. If you have any question, if climate change is real or not, that's a great resource. Start there. If you have any questions, feel free to hit me up on social media. I just don't get it. Like, what is again? What is the flip side? Like, obviously, there would be an economic impact, right? Like, you know, and again, from a psychology perspective, you're the psychology major in this pair. Like, Thanks. you know. You have a long-term problem, you know, you have a problem that's out in the distance. You know, it's this big, huge issue, uh, but you just, you just want to put it to the side and we'll get there eventually. We'll get there eventually. Well, we're starting to run out of eventuallys. Like, obviously it's going to hurt some businesses in the short term to move away from fossil fuels, to start moving towards more renewable forms of energy, to start reducing our carbon load. Uh, but the whole freaking world is in the Paris Accords for the most part. And then we just say, oh, we're going to pull out of it because Obama got us into it. Like, I just don't even understand. Like, again, this is a way that America can, if you want to make America great again, let us become the leader in renewable energies. We'll create millions of more jobs. We'll be able to take that technology and export it out to the rest of the world. I, I don't see what the downside is. Yes, there is going to be some short-term pain, but that short-term pain will lead us to long-term gain. What is the argument against this? Uh, I certainly couldn't tell you. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, obviously I was joking, though I'm not joking at all about that being a great show. It is a great show. But, <laughs> I, I mean, I think the question is really, it, it can't be people asking, is climate change real? I, I think it really comes down to, do you care? And I think this ties really back into what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode. I mean, if you want to look at the world that we're going to leave for, I don't even think it's our grandchildren at this point. I think if we're looking at the world that we're going to leave for our children, this is absolutely one of the top issues that we have to talk about. I mean, and did you see any of those before and after pictures kind of at the beginning of the pandemic when people were really locked down when, when we were in, when the patterns of transportation were changing, when people weren't driving to work anymore, just the rivers that were cleaner, just yeah. the smog that was different. I mean, just just look at the way our planet was changing. And, and I mean, I, I really do. I think it's it ties back into what we were saying at the beginning of the episode that I, I don't even think it's about the world we'd be leaving for our grandchildren. I think it's the world that we'd be leaving for our children. I mean, yeah, I our mean, planet yeah. is our planet is in pain. 
I mean, what do you have to see? Like, you know, fires out of control on the West Coast. Hurricane season's getting more and more severe. Uh, you know, you have these derechos in, in the Great Plains and tornadoes going on there. Uh, you just have so much extreme weather, um, you know, whether so much rain, so much drought. I just don't know how you can argue. And I don't know, like, who is the nameless cabal that's pushing climate change, you know, even though it's fake because we want to hurt businesses? Like, what is even the rationale? I don't understand. So I don't I don't see it's an issue. I mean, sure, there are people on the other side, but uh, I do fundamentally believe that not every issue has two sides. Sometimes there is just a right sign. And then there is a side that is wrong. And if you're on the side that's wrong, sure, you can believe that, but we don't have to have a conversation about it. Um, and sure, yes, it is hard to tease apart the things that, you know, are open and shut closed and the things that are more just us being, you know, stuck in our own perspectives. Um, but this is one, I don't, there's no argument and I, and I don't see any more need in discussing it. Um, Good. Couldn't agree more. Once again, I'm just going to, for the third time, refer you to Eleanor Wonders Why if you don't understand how science works. Let's move on to the next one. <laughs> All right, Andy. This is an issue that personally fires me up a ton. Let's talk about guns in the Second Amendment. Bang, bang. <laughs> bang, bang. Um, so, yeah, I have consistently always been somebody who is pretty anti-gun. I know that there's a whole bunch that goes into it, um, you know, besides just the actual uh, weapon that is used to, to take life at the very end. You know, I know there's issues with, uh, you know, mental health and crime and, and, and wealth inequality and, and so many other things that kind of go into, you know, I've, some people would say the death of the family unit, um, you know, the fact that there isn't God in schools anymore, you know, there's a whole bunch of reasons that go, that go into it. But fundamentally to me, you know, you give a person a knife and you give a person an AR 15 and you see which person is going to kill more people. Um, it just seems like, you know, to me, it's just a tool that is used to take, to take human life. You know, it's, it's not a car that has a function to get us from point A to point B. And also you can use it to run into people and kill them. It's whole point is to take life, whether it's human life or animal life. Um, you know, I don't have, I know there are responsible gun owners. There are people in my extended family uh, who are responsible gun owners and I don't have anything personally against them. You know, they responsibly enjoy a hobby and that's great. It's not something I particularly share with them, but no judgments uh, on my end, I'm sure they don't wouldn't enjoy playing Dungeons and Dragons with me on the weekends, but I just come to it. You know, it, we've had so many instances that other countries just don't have that. It's almost just like the, you know, the, the bad kindergartner who ruined it for the whole class. And we've just had too many instances now where somebody's ruined it for the whole class. And now we have to do something about the issue as a whole. Um, so I'm virulently anti-gun. Um, I would, you know, if I could get a hold of the Constitution, I would take an eraser, take a permanent marker, and scratch out the Second Amendment. Um, I don't know if you and I 100% are on the same page on this, but uh, I have more to say. But uh, give me your thoughts, your first thoughts on this topic. 
I don't know that we're 100% in agreement on that. I don't know if I'm necessarily scratching out things on the Constitution, though I'm also not sure that I think that I would go the route of editing the current Constitution so much as I would say, maybe we just sit down and write a new one that <laughs> really reflects what we care about more. Um, go into the, since you brought up the, the issue of, you know, mass shootings and the things that we have here that are fairly unique, well, I think the gun culture plays a huge part of that. And absolutely, it's a tool that makes it way more efficient when someone decides that they want to go out and take a whole lot of lives. I mean, I, you're like, yeah, it's way easier to do it with, with an AR-15 than it is to do it with a knife or a rock or whatever other weapon you may find laying around. I do think a big part of that is it really ties back to just American culture though. American culture really focuses on winners and losers. American culture focuses on, you know, money is king. There's have and have haves and have nots. And I, I think that's really something that, that we could take away the guns, but I'm not sure we're going to really take away the problem that lies underneath why people feel so little respect for other human life and, and feel like it's okay to just go out and, you know, and kill five, six, 57 people at a time. So I do think that, that more gun control would is, I mean, yeah, I'm in favor too. I, I think we definitely need to limit. Yeah. There's, there's no re I mean, if you need a rifle that holds 20 rounds to, that you can shoot off semi-automatically when you're hunting, you're not a very good hunter and you need to practice a little bit more. <laughs> you, you shouldn't be need to popping off seven, eight, nine shots at the deer. I mean, if you can't hit it in, the, in one or two with a bolt action rifle, move on. Maybe that's not the hobby for you. I mean, I slice a ton of golf balls. That, that's all right. You know? Right. And, and, I mean, <laughs> and again, that's the thing though, is a lot of these things are popular on both sides of the aisle. So, you know, universal background checks, like those are things that 85, 90% of the country supports. Uh, and that includes the majority of Republicans, um, you know, eliminating some of the, you know, guns, guns uh, show loopholes and uh, universal background checks and, and just some of, you know, the like really obvious things that are low hanging fruit. Like, you know, it's really hard for me that overwhelmingly Americans believe X uh, but yet we can't get X passed uh, through Congress, you know, whether it's NRA lobbying money or just, you know, these Republicans own personal political views or the money they're getting into their campaigns. Uh, but to me, it's just like we already accept as a country that there are limitations to the Second Amendment, right? Like we don't own tanks or flamethrowers or grenades you don't even, you know, you're not even really allowed to have, a, you know, most fully automatic weapons. So you already agree that there is some restriction to this amendment. So now all we have to discuss is what is, where is the line? What is a reasonable restriction? And I would just say, you know, Sandy Hook, luckily, I think it was early enough where I was not yet a parent. Um, I want to say that was maybe like 2012. So I was not yet a father. Uh, but really just the fact that that happened and just the most absolutely devastating thing that you could possibly imagine. Uh, and then nothing really came of it. Uh, you know, it just seemed kind of like a turning point. I don't want to give in the defeatism. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, great organization like Moms Demand Action 
uh, you know, that really have tried to put as much reasonable restrictions uh, on gun ownership as possible. Um, but it just felt like that happened and we did nothing. And now what else can happen? That's going to make us change our mind. I just, I just don't know. I mean, San Diego happened and nothing changed. Pulse happened and nothing changed. Vegas happened and nothing changed. I don't know what it would take. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I really think it would have to be something extremely drastic, which, again, has not happened. You know, I I don't know how many times I saw, oh, Obama's coming to take our guns. Everybody I know who owned a gun still owns their guns. That That never happened. Uh, it's not going to happen when Joe Biden's president. Uh, you know, I think there's enough respect for how the Constitution was written, the Second Amendment. Like, people, there's just too many guns. There's more guns in the country than there are people. You know, they're never going to go away. I honestly, I probably would be okay with an Australia-style buyback where we just said, "Nope, they're illegal. We're buying it back one way or another. Uh, we're getting rid of these." Sure, I'm, I'm sure there's a bunch of other factors, but Australia doesn't really have mass shootings anymore uh, now that that happened. So I don't know. It's, it's something that I am very, if you wanted to take all of the issues that are big picture issues for the country, this is the one that I'm probably the most left on. Um, I, I realize that there are a lot of people who feel they need them for safety or for hunting or for pleasure. And it just, it doesn't, I just can't. You know, all of the other things in the cons column just outweigh it completely for me. So, I think if you said tomorrow that all of the handguns in America are gone, you would have absolutely no argument for me. I think there's maybe, if you wanted to take all the guns away, I think, yeah, there's definitely some, some arguments for guns being used, you know, for recreation, for, for hunting, for sport. But I don't think there's any reason that those need to be handguns. So I think that would be a nice, easy way to go ahead and, Get rid of it. It's, that. That would be a good starting point to me. But I, I, I do. I think it's a cultural problem more than it's necessarily the, the tools that we have problem. And I think if we really want to change the conditions that happen in America where people feel like that that's okay or that that's the only option they have, I mean, I, I think you really need to change the culture. And I think that that that's much more complicated than, than making gun laws. But I think making the guns harder to access is certainly a good start. And I think that that's maybe the beginning, the right beginning to the process of if you take those tools away from a lot of people that are going to use them, and then you also make changes to the underlying culture, which creates those conditions where people feel okay to do those things. I think maybe taking that two-pronged approach is, is probably the best thing that you could do. But yeah, if you wanted to take away handguns tomorrow, I'm, Definitely not as far left as you are on this issue, but I would have zero problem with that. So I agree with you that we we could do both, but I'm going to close with this metaphor. You know, our our kids, you know, get a common cold. It's it's not really that big of a deal. There's you know we're not really going to give them medicine, but if that common cold causes them to spike a fever and they're approaching 101, 102, we're going to give them Tylenol for that symptom because that symptom is the thing that could really hurt them. And, you know, yes, let's, let's go to work on all the big structural issues that we need to do to change the culture. But for me right now, we have the symptom that needs to be addressed. And if it, you know, means that we need to do something drastic, then sign me up. I'm all for it. So, okay. Um, and kind of 
segueing again, kind of uh, hand in hand, something that's been in the news. You know, this is not this is by far not a new issue. This issue predates Andy and I being born. This issue predates our country existing. Uh, you know, uh, you know, racial inequality, Black Lives Matter, policing. This is uh, earlier this year. Uh, George Floyd uh, was killed by a police officer, and that was kind of the newest touchstone that has uh, sparked lots of protesting, lots of peaceful protesting. Definitely, yes, some violent protesting that turns into rioting. You know, we just had recently in the news that was announced that Breonna Taylor, uh, the police officers involved in that situation were only charged for wanton endangerment for the bullets that didn't hit anybody. Uh, One of the police officers were charged. Two of them, there were absolutely no charges at all. Thank you. Thank you for that. That, is, that somehow makes it worse. And so it doesn't make had, it better. <laughs> we've, we had these examples over and over again. You know, we had Ferguson and Missouri uh, while Obama was president. This is certainly not something that I am trying to pin just on President Trump. Uh, you know, this is a part of Americans, America's fabric. You know, the, whether you you know, want to say, you know, slavery from the very beginning all the way through to the Civil War, to Reconstruction and Jim Crow, separate but equal, um, all the way through to the Civil Rights Movement to the current day. This is a big deal. You know, we're just two, we're just two average white guys that, uh, you know, have a somewhat limited perspective on this. But uh, it's definitely something that common even in our uh, families and, and our friend circles because you know you have all of these visible demonstrations whether they're in during sporting events uh, whether they're you know protest in your local neighborhood or city um, this is really a, a salient topic right now that you can't really avoid discussing so I think this is probably the topic that is I mean it, there's no probably about it this is the topic that's weighed the heaviest on me in 2020 and I think this is this is one of those topics that I feel like, you know, at, at a personal level, when I talk to family or, you know, maybe even at a broader level, um, this is one that I just really feel like being silent is being complicit. And this is something that, that, that is never going to change unless everyone speaks up and says enough is enough. I think you're absolutely right. I think this is, I mean... The, this is a problem that absolutely predates America. I mean, this goes back to 1619 in America. But if you want to look at world history, I mean, this goes back probably beyond written history, racial inequality. And I think this is one of the things that I have a lot of hope for our generation, that we can be the people that, that start to understand that we live in a deeply, deeply flawed society. And this is one, again, going back to kind of the intro where – we need to take a, a critical look at our nation. And while we may love some of the great things we're doing, this is something that we are not doing well. This is something that we haven't done well historically. And this is something that we're not doing any better than we were doing 200 years ago, honestly. And this is something that I, I, this is probably the thing that matters the most to me. And this is something that, that I just don't think we can stay quiet on anymore. No, to sure. pretend to, to pretend that there is not structural racism, to pretend like there is equality in our society 
is to put on a pair of really convenient blinders. I, 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 I understand maybe why people want to feel like our country is equal, but the fact of the matter, it, it's not. And there's no way to spin it that it is. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. No, I agree. I mean, I understand the impulse, right? Like, you know, there's a lot of people that we know in our largely white social circles that, you know, had it not super easy, you know, had it really hard. uh, And they don't want to think that, oh, hey, you know, I had this really hard. So I don't want to hear about how people of color have it super hard because there's a bunch of white people that have it hard too. I don't understand why they have some special circumstance when we struggled as well. I, I get that impulse to say that, but there's just so many things like I, there's so, how many examples do you need before you say, okay, like maybe there is something to this. I mean, even just the other day, I mean, this is the smallest of things, but I, I believe it was the Wells Fargo CEO comes out and says, you know, there's just not that deep of a pool of talented people of color to hire to these high executive positions. And it's like, you know, the thing before Trump became president, and again, these just because we elected Obama doesn't mean that, oh, racism magically went away and everybody was cool. We wanted to think that, I think, in part. And, you know, I, I've, I felt like in 2008, the first time around, I was like, we're going to go into the polls and people are going to slide the curtain close. And when it's just them all by themselves, they're going to resort to their base instincts and they're going to pick John McCain because they don't want to see the black guy become president. And I was pleasantly surprised that that didn't happen. Uh, so good for everybody else and maybe bad for me. Um, and I thought that, but during the Obama years, people still ha- harbored all of these prejudices, but it was not socially acceptable to just come out and say it for the most part. Sure. If you're in a comfortable, uh, you know, family situation where, you know, everybody's on the same page, you know, sure. You'll say something and it, you know, it won't go over poorly. Uh, but if you're in mixed company, you're with somebody you don't know, you just don't come out and you just, and say those things. And I feel like since Trump has been elected, he's created a permission structure where the most powerful person in the world is okay saying all these horrible things about people of color and women and uh, LGBT people and people with disabilities and, you know, our, our veterans and, and basically every group that you can imagine. And you see that person, the most powerful person in the world on TV saying those things. And it's like, okay, well, if he can say it, then now it's okay for me to say that too. Um, and I feel like we've just seen a lot of, you know, people who previously would have kept it to themselves, you know, maybe had a, you know, muttered word under their breath, you know, right at the end of family dinner. Uh, and now it's just out in the open. And it's just really, you know, it's really difficult to see sometimes. Yeah, I think that's been, there. look, man, there's been times in 2020 where I, I, I've really started to to lose faith in humanity to some ways. And I, and I think this is this is it. I mean, this has been the biggest struggle of 2020 is seeing how many people, and, and again, like you said, it, it's that permission structure for people to say it, but, and there's certainly a lot wrong with creating a situation where it's okay for people to be openly racist, but at the same time, people are feeling this anyway. And the fact that I was shocked how many people, once that, that permission structure came in and, and 
you know, the most powerful person in the world said it's so it basically said it's okay to be racist. I was just devastated to see how many people that I know on a personal level were okay with coming out and saying, well, now that this is socially acceptable to say, yeah, this is how I feel. And it, I mean, it's, it's disgusting. I, I'm sorry. It, it is. And this has been something that's kept me awake, you know, over these last six months. This is, this is something that I think our generation has to address head on and our generation has to, I, I think people have such a hard time accepting that systemic racism is real. And, and I, don't, I don't understand how, I don't understand how you can look at the world and, and think, look at this nation and think that it's fair because it's just, it's, it's not. And, and I understand that maybe people want to see it this way, but it's not. And I think being able to take that open look at, at the things that are going on in our country is, is sure it's difficult, but that's the greatest challenge that our generation will have to take on. Uh, that I truly believe that, that this is it. This is the challenge that, what generation are we? Gen Y? I, I mean, this is what, so, yeah. this is, this is what we have to take on and we have to accept the reality that systemic racism is real, that me as a white man, people are going to look at me differently. And I have to be aware of that. I have to understand that people are going to see me differently. And it's my responsibility to say, this isn't right. And it's your responsibility to say this isn't right. And it's every person in this generation, it's every person in this nation's responsibility to say, this isn't okay, and I don't want this to continue. Absolutely. Very well said. And you know, it's it just it's so it's so easy to see the examples, right? Like you and I both have sons. I, I don't think I'm ever gonna have a conversation with my son that you know is gonna be along the lines of if you get pulled over by the cops make sure your hands are at 10 and two and are super visible. Just say yes or no. And, and be as polite as possible. Don't make any sudden movements. Uh, you know, if you're in a neighborhood that you are just visiting, you know, make sure you have your head on a swivel and, uh, you know, you might have people question why you're in that neighborhood and, and just answer honestly the best you can. There are just so many examples where there are things that, you and I don't have to worry about that. Our children won't have to worry about that. Millions of people in this country do have to worry about. When you and I talk about having the talk with our children, that'll be the birds and the bees. That'll be, don't get anybody pregnant. That'll be use a condom. When a person of color has the talk with, with their children, the talk is exactly what you described. It's what do you do if you're pulled over? There are, there are families that I know that I've worked with, that, that I've interacted with, that I've talked to. They have that talk every time their black or brown son leaves the house. What do you do if you're pulled over? That is something we will never know. That is, something, that is not a conversation we will ever have to have with our sons. And to pretend like our world is equal when you and I are talking about, hey, you know, don't get anybody pregnant. And they're talking about, hey, and a person of color is talking about, hey, do this or a police officer might shoot you that that's a different world yeah for sure it, to go kind of right along with this you know there's policing has been in the spotlight uh over this past year in particular uh, i i'm definitely more of a fan of twitter than facebook but one thing that twitter has really been awful for is just so many clips of you know, protests um, where P- 
people are gathered peacefully, uh, but then something happens and you see police on camera or with their, with their body cameras doing things that would get you fired, would get you jailed in any other job. Um, and really the thing that stuck out, the one that stood out to me the most was there was a, a protest going on, I believe, in Buffalo, New York. And there was this very old guy. He was probably like 75 plus or whatever. And he was saying something to the cops or whatever. And there was a cop who pushed him over. Again, 75-year-old man. You know, no matter what he was saying, was he posing any kind of direct threat? No. Uh, the the man falls over, hits his head, starts bleeding from his ear. And again, I I do believe in the argument that there are good cops. And I do believe that, you know, it's probably just a small handful of cops that are personally doing, you know, these illegal or immoral actions. But if you watch that video, the man gets pushed down. He's bleeding. He clearly needs medical attention. And you just see officer after officer walk by him, ignore him, uh, not call for aid. Um, and, you you know, you, you hear the phrase bad apples. Oh, it's just a bad apple. It's just, you know, there's just a couple bad apples. But, Andy, what is the whole phrase that involves bad apples? You know? I, I believe it is that one bad apple will spoil the bunch. Ding, ding, ding. You got it. Uh, it is a one bad apple spoils the bunch. So what do you call that cop that walks by the person bleeding on the ground who I think was like put in the ICU and had like, you know, neurological, you know, issues or whatever. What do you call that cop who he he wasn't the one who pushed the guy down, but he just walked right on by. Um, and that's, that's what I struggle with. I think that's where we're at. I think that's the challenge that we're at right now. And I can't remember if it was that clip or there was another clip that I saw somewhere out of California where an old man gets pushed down and several officers walk by and no one does anything. And then another officer walks by, helps him up, dusts off his pants. And and to me, I don't think that was the same clip out of Buffalo that you're talking about. I think this one was out of of, uh, California, but it was, you know, it it was exactly the same kind of thing. An old man gets pushed down, four or five officers walk by and, and then, the sixth officer walks over, helps the man up and dusts him off. And I said, isn't that really where we're at as an entire country? That's it. There's there's a small number of people that are doing really terrible things. There's a large number of people that are kind of turning a blind eye to it. And then there's kind of on the other side, a small number of people that are saying, this isn't right. And I'm going to do something about it. So again, you know, I, you know, we don't know what the answer is. Obviously this has been going on you know, for hundreds of years at this point, um, I would like to see, you know, I, you know, I think it's pretty bad PR. I'm not going to lie. My honest feelings are on defund the police. I just would have picked a different verb. Um, I know what they're trying to say and I agree with the principle. Let's take some of that money allocated towards police departments, which are huge percentages of city and state budgets and, and move some of that money towards, you know, mental health, uh, professionals coming to to scenes to much more training for officers uh, besides what they get uh, for maybe you know reducing the amount of uh, officers who arrive to the scene with a gun you know let's let's look at some of these methods look at some of these reallocations of funding to other areas you know because I'm sure there are cops out there that say 
look, I shouldn't be responding to this. This is not my area of expertise. You know, this this really crushed me. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was up and I was scrolling through Twitter. And there was a mom who had a, an autistic teenager. I'm really going to try not to tear up when I, when I talk about this story. She had an autistic teenager who was having a really hard time uh, transitioning, some kind of transition, going out or, or her mom was leaving. Um, and, she, and she called an emergency line and asked for a mental health uh, crisis officer. And they sent the police instead. Um, and this autistic teenager who was this little, slight little dude, didn't, didn't look at particularly intimidating, um, ended up running away from the cops. Apparently, the kid's uh, grandfather had been killed by the cops at one point. Um, so had this fear of the cops, ended up running away, didn't seem to be posing any harm, and was shot multiple times, uh, ended up in the hospital with intestinal damage and, and all kinds of horrible issues. And it's just like, at what point, you know, do we, we say enough is enough, you know? At what point do we say what we're doing right now is not good enough? I'm not saying that I, ha- you know, that Democrats have the best answers, that I have the best answers, but it's just what we are doing right now is not working. This goes for guns. This goes for, this goes for policing. This goes for, you know, how we, you know, deal with race in our country. What we're doing right now is not good enough. It's not working. And we can either just continue doing the same and getting the same shitty results, or we can try and do better. We can try something else um, and try and do better. So. So just just a couple quick reactions to what you said there. I mean, I think it all comes back to it's it's a cultural problem. You're right. Police officers are being put in, in impossible situations like that that are way out to, you know, a, a mental health situation. A police officer is is not the right person to respond to that. But in many communities, that's 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 all that we have. So just from the, the mental health, behavioral health perspective, I can say locally, we have a great program. It's the CIT, it's the crisis intervention training off, um, for officers. So it may be all officers going through academy now. It's certainly a lot of the officers in, at least locally, and I'm not just saying that the city departments here, but, but a lot of the suburbs and even some of the state officers here in Northwest Ohio are, are going through this training. And that's at least some exposure to, to mental health training. It's some exposure to maybe you don't treat everything as necessarily a situation where you decide how much force to apply as soon as you arrive on scene. But again, I think that's an entire cultural problem that, that we're using the police to respond to these situations that, that don't, it's not a police situation. It's not a law and order situation. It's a mental health situation. It's a, 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 a drug addiction situation. And police are not the right people to respond to those. We need people with that specialized training. That that young man should have never been put in that position where it's it's a police officer that's arriving on scene, you know, and I'm assuming that decision was made probably pretty quickly in determining if that person was a threat or not. We need people that have experience with these situations. And I think that's exactly where the idea of defund the police comes in is let's funnel that money into the community. Let's funnel that into what the community really needs instead of buying tanks for police officers so, so they can, you know, roll into town in an armored personnel carrier and, and apply the law and order that, that our president screams so often about. So I think investing in communities and investing in responses 
other than police using force is the only way we're going to solve any of these kind of problems. So that, that that's a terrible story. I hadn't read that one before. I'll probably research it when we get off, get off the call here, but that's unfortunately that that doesn't even seem like it's a terribly unique story in our, in our country anymore. As horrifying as it is that that's, that's not even shocking and that's sad. Yeah. So that was real heavy. Um, let's, let's just hit a couple things that I think I don't really have um, a whole lot to say about, but they are kind of big picture issues. Um, immigration, I, I, it's not something that I feel strongly about. I do, you know, we have, I think, 10, 11 million or so, at least undocumented immigrants who are in the country. I think it's insane to, to deport all of those people. I'm a fan of keeping dreamers around, uh, taking illegal immigrants, having them pay some fines, pay some back taxes, uh, put them through the process of becoming legal, let them pay taxes like all the rest of us, which they already do, but have them officially become part of, uh, of the citizenry. Um, you know, if they're if they're violent offenders, obviously those people can't stay and gotta go. It's not something that I feel strongly about. I don't. I think that it would be to our advantage to legalize the nonviolent offenders that we have uh, in the country and just make them a part of you know of the USA. But I don't feel strongly about it. What about you? Look, this is a country that was founded on immigration. I mean, the very first people to co- to come to our shores and kind of bring what would eventually become American ideals were immigrants. So to all of a sudden decide, let's close our borders, let's keep everybody out, is to deny the entire history of this country, which is it was a place that people could come and live the lives they wanted to live and be free. So I think the idea of closing off our borders, building the wall, shutting America off and making America just for Americans is it doesn't even make sense because America has always been a place where everyone can come and share ideas. So I think some of the rhetoric around immigration is very dangerous. And I think, you know, the, the, the MS 13 is coming to our shores Mm -hmm. and and, going to murder us all is, is just another example of of the person in charge fear mongering. And it's, it's an example of the person in charge just really creating an an us versus them mentality and in a world that's increasingly global to try and shut ourselves off and be, you know, we don't want to deal with other countries in in a world that's becoming so much more global is, is just the wrong step to take. I think some of the things I know, some of the things that are having at the border are absolutely disgusting, separating children from their families. But Andy, what if they're shithole countries? Does that make a difference? I don't think, I mean, no, <laughs> no, it doesn't matter. I mean, I would never call a country a shithole country, but for countries that are maybe on, on the, you know, the, the poorer side, maybe some of the countries that we, you know, think of people coming from and, and, you know, maybe seeking like a refugee type status. I think that's even more reason why we should open our borders and say, and welcome those people here. I mean, I mean, it's, it's just so funny to me. Like, you have to pick a narrative. Either immigrants are lazy people who are just living off welfare and taking all of our money, or immigrants are people coming for your jobs, and they're these hardworking people that are going to steal it from right out from under you. You can't have both sides of that coin. Um, and then the other thing is if you look 
you know, if you're, if you want to make America great again, you want the economy to do well, well, you need to have a positive birth rate, which right now we are either right at or actually slightly below. But the reason our population continues to increase is because of immigration. So if you want us to keep chugging along, sure, if you want to deport 11 million people, then deal with the economic consequences of a large portion of the labor force that does jobs that you don't find desirable. Uh, see what happens to the economy when all those people go away. So, Sure, I think there's definitely economic consequences too. But I think, just, again, I think this is where I th- we need to look at the culture of our nation and say, who do, who do th- this is another issue where we want, we need to take a look at ourselves and say, who do we want to be? Do we want to be somebody that opens our doors, somebody that is a real leader in, in taking care of other people? Do we want to make this a, a, a do we really want to make America great or do we want to make America rich? And I think that that really plays into every issue that we've talked today. I think that plays into certainly the the systemic racism that's happening in our country is to enrich the largely white, you know, corporate class at the top. I think if you, even if you, if you look at guns, I think it's all do, do, it it all plays into money. At the end of the day, do we want to make America rich or do we want to make America great? And I think immigration is just another one of those issues that, that we have to decide. Is it about, money is it about the the best economic decision or is it about do we want to be a leader do we want to show other do we do we want to lead the way do we want to take care of of other people and and i don't think we can call ourselves a a great nation if we're going to turn away people that are in need i mean we're a country that absolutely has the resources that we can help if we want to do do we really want to turn people away at the border because Sure, for a couple of years before they get on their feet, we may be paying them $15,000 a year in welfare, which is an absolute joke drop in the bucket in terms of the overall national budget. I mean, I'm pretty sure we have bullets in our military arsenal that probably cost more than $15,000 to shoot off one time in training. But we want to deny people the opportunity to to come across our borders because we want to act like the the $15,000 a year we're going to pay them in in welfare is somehow going to cripple us. Immigration is one of those things that, that, that surprisingly frustrates me. If we want to be a great country, we need to to open ourselves up to to helping people that are i mean people that are coming to this country with great ideas with innovations with to share their culture to become productive members of our society i think we need to take a chance that sure is is everybody that going to that comes across our border going to be a productive member of our society no probably not but certainly not every member that's born within our borders is a productive member anyway yeah. so i think we need to be willing to take that chance on, on bringing some people into into this country and saying this is America, and if we want to be great, part of being great is is welcoming our neighbors. I 100% agree, and, and just another way to phrase it. So the, the most common response that I'll see on my Facebook feed, by a certain part of my Facebook feed, is if there's one homeless veteran that we can't take a single immigrant in until every single person is, is housed and homed and healthy. And to that I say, good let's let's house and homeless people as well like this does not have to be an either or you not know, at all this can be an you know an and both or whatever you want to call it you know i just think that the the critical issue like you said so eloquently is 
what do we do not for the people who are in power or just the average person that has a pretty good life? What do we do for the people who are down on their luck, who have some, who have a disability or a disadvantage or, you know, just are really struggling in their life? Do we lift those people up or do we try to keep them down? Um, and that's really, to me, that is I one of the reasons that I primarily, you know, identify as a Democrat right now and believe in that platform is because I feel like the party that I support is the party that tries to do that. I think that's absolutely what's been pushing me probably further to the left every year. And I think that's what's going to continue pushing me further to the left is look, I'd rather have a couple less bucks in my pocket and know that our country is somebody that is a place that, that puts value on taking care of people that maybe need a hand up rather than, you know, putting a couple extra bucks in my pocket. And, and yeah, that's, that's where I, I, I really don't see myself ever heading back probably further to the right, unless the right changes the way they think a lot. I mean, I can agree with what you said more. And I'm, and I'm all for capitalism. Like, again, like the argument that Joe Biden is some socialist, like the democratic party had a choice with that for Bernie and overwhelmingly chose Biden. I'm fine with capitalism. Let's just one, put some heavy thick guardrails on it which don't exist right now and have been i feel like perpetually weak in the time that you and i have been participants in the economy and then two let's have that strong safety net like there are people you know let's make the system work as well for as many people as possible but there's going to be some people who it doesn't work as well for and let's be able to get those people back up on their feet by giving them the support that they need to do that so that's just kind of Again, I've never taken economics a day in my life, so I'm not going to go deep on the subject. Um, it's more just from, a, you know, I think we have the money and from a morality perspective, I think we are called to do that. So, Absolutely agree. All right, Andy. I saved a hot button issue for the very end, um, and I feel like I'm going to have a lot to say on it. So. Uh, probably the most controversial issue that exists in politics and has for a very long time is the topic of abortion. Showtime. I've got a lot to say, Andy, but kick us off first. Is this something that's important to you, not important to you? What's kind of your just share as much as you feel comfortable with being again, keeping in mind everyone that we are two men. We will never have a baby grow in our, in our womb. Uh, we cannot know what that's like. I certainly was standing there, uh, you know, right next to my wife through all three kids. Uh, but it's definitely something that I'll never be able to experience. Uh, I think there was an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie where he got pregnant. Um, I'm, I'm forgetting which one it was. But uh, you, you established yourself as our uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger expert in an earlier episode with one of your top five lists. So I'm you got to come up with this one. I know. All right. So, Andy, give us your give us your perspective on this so i'm gonna start with not my perspective um but I, we were actually discussing this the other day um in, in my house and so i feel like abortion has traditionally been a really really hot button issue every election and i feel like this year it's is it fair to say it's been less of a big issue than maybe it has been previously or, or am, am i just reading different news sources well, I think you're reading different news sources, but I, I, I would say that's 
that has been true, but now we have the Supreme Court battle uh, that just now, you know, started happening. You know, we were we weren't prepared uh, for Rutha to to leave this world. Um, so now that there is an opening, I would say uh, it's 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 back in the forefront somewhat. Uh, but yes, I would agree with your overall characterization that uh, prior to the last ten days or so, not really so much in the news. Yeah, not that it's not a big deal, but you know, I feel like before, previously it would have been maybe like a top two issue, and maybe now it's you know towards the end of the top five. So personally, all right. <laughs> the look on your face is priceless right now. I'm so glad you're going first. So yeah, this, this is always one of the, and like you said, I mean, as, as two guys, I don't know if we're necessarily, I, I, I certainly would never want to make this decision without consulting a whole lot of women because I don't know this, this is our decision to make it all. And maybe it's a good thing because it's not like you and I are actually making the decision. Um, True. Politically, I think people have the right to have control over their bodies. Personally, I think I would be devastated if I had a partner that wanted to, to choose that option. I think at a personal morality level, I don't necessarily believe in abortion. I don't necessarily believe that's something I would ever want to, to have happen in, in my life. And I think it's also interesting because I don't, I wouldn't have a, it doesn't really matter what I want at all. Um, which is, I think is maybe a whole separate issue that, that, you know, as men, you and I, it, it doesn't matter what we want at all. If we wanted to have, you know, if, if our partners were pregnant, we wanted to have that child. It doesn't really matter. They, you know, they could have that abortion if they wanted to and, and kind of vice versa. If we, if we didn't want to have the child, they said, Oh, I'm going to have it. Hey, we don't have a choice at all. Um, so at a personal level, I think I would be absolutely devastated if, if I had a partner that wanted to make that choice. But politically, I think people have a right to make that choice. And I'm curious to see what you have to say because I think the last time we had a discussion, I was probably driving that old white Honda, which puts this maybe 10 years ago. So <laughs> this could be interesting. Oh, Andy, where do I even begin? How many drives from Columbus to Toledo do you think we had this exact conversation? It had to, it had to be more than a handful. Yeah. I mean, again, this is... Okay, I'm going to start with the easiest part of this, which is this is a super controversial issue. However, I think personally, I think it is crazy that there are in my opinion, a large number of single issue voters that this is the issue for them. And so those voters I would characterize as largely Republican, uh, largely religious people. Um, I certainly know people who are like this. Um, I think you need to be careful here. I know. (laughs) I'm going to be respectful. I'm going to kind of take a look at a whole bunch of signs during this conversation. I might just get canceled. You know, this might be the last episode, everyone. Um, it was a good run. <laughs> good run when we had it. So I think the easiest thing is, look, this, I'm sure this is, a, this is a very personal, emotional issue, a religious issue for a lot of people. But the government, the president, the Congress are responsible for the economy, keeping us safe across the world, uh, educating youth, administering health care to the country, 
all of these giant, complex, super critical, important issues. Uh, and for you to just say, look, I'm going to boil this down to this one, in my opinion, rather niche topic. It's just really hard for me. Like, I understand why it can be very personal to people and why there's a very you know strong religious calling to focus on this issue. But to have it be the one issue to me is just really hard for me to wrap my head around. So that's that's the first point that I'm going to make. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree with that more. Sure. I mean, it, it, it absolutely, it's a big deal. And I understand if that's a, a big issue to you. This is, this is probably one of the issues that, well, I do think people absolutely have a right to choose. It, women have a right to choose what happens to their bodies. This is not something that's necessarily that high up on the totem pole for me. So I think that's something that would be challenging for me to see that as the one issue that someone cares about. Exactly. There's so much more that government is responsible for. This is not something that's that, that's high up on my own person personal totem pole. So to see somebody as a one issue voter on this, I I get it, but that's a challenge for me. Okay, so we haven't we haven't faltered yet, but here we go. So, man, I can I can see a lot of sides of this issue. So, for my own personal, I'm going to stop sitting on the fence. I'm going to tell I'm going to tell the people what I believe. I was born and raised Catholic. Uh, I still identify as being Catholic. Um, I do, you know, largely agree. I do think that, uh, in my own personal opinion. For my own personal, uh, you know, family that I, I don't agree with abortion. I think in, oh, you know, the large majority of cases, excluding obviously medical issues, rape, incest, all those, uh, you know, that it's largely wrong. I I do believe it is, you know, the purposeful ending of a human life, um, and I know there's some extenuating circumstances on both ends of the spectrum: the very young, the very old, and all of that where. Uh, you know, maybe there's some extenuating circumstances you want to discuss. So personally, I do, I am opposed. And I, this is by far the one, the one issue where, oh, Josh, you're just a paint by numbers Democrat. Well, this is the issue that kind of blows that up a little bit. And I do, and and I, you know, I face some own, some own personal criticism, you know, of, you know, you say that you believe this, yet you support, you know, Democrats and you support the party that, is all about the right to choose and, you know, imagine Planned Parenthood as being these abortion factories that don't provide other essential services as well. So I, I have all of that brewing, but then the other side of me also thinks a couple things. One, you know, I, I personally feel this way largely, uh, you know, based on my religion, you know, someone I would say a little bit, a little bit from science. I mean, I do, you know, we start debate debating, what is a life versus what is a person and when does personhood develop? And that's a whole deeply philosophical issue that we're not going to go into right now, unless you want to get into it. But I personally believe these things, but do those personal beliefs translate to the rule of law for the rest of the country? You know, you have Europe, uh, abortion is largely, is largely legal. Uh, most of what we would call first world countries, it's legal. And again, you know, we're not a theocracy. We're not based on, you know, what Christianity believes is the, is the rule of law. So 
um, the, the other side of this coin where I think I largely end up in this weird position where I'm personally opposed to abortion, but I believe Roe versus Wade should stand is, you know, it's not my own, you know, my beliefs are largely based in religion and that does not need to be applying to the people in the country who don't believe those things. And then I also believe that my party is also the side of, uh, you know, widespread access to free birth control and comprehensive sex education and things that help keep the abortion rate low. Um, you know, if you want to say, I don't want abortions anymore. Great. I think that could be an admirable goal, goal to get to. But if you say that, and then you want to close down every Planned Parenthood and make birth control not covered by health insurance and teach and teach teenagers that abstinence is the only form of birth control then that you know those two things do not compute those two things run in opposition to each other so you know do you really want zero abortions or do you want zero abortions only by a certain set of methods um and you know we're at the point right now where over the past you know, five, 10 years or so, I believe, where the the number and rate of abortions is at the lowest it's ever been since Roe versus Wade. Um, and I think the reason that you get there is you have more access to birth control and and, and better sex education. And, and ultimately, that leads to an endpoint that I think all sides want. Nobody's, nobody's saying, yes, let's go out and kill some babies. Like, that's a preposterous position to say. But if we can get to the same endpoint that we both want by doing some data-based methods that, that, that help keep unwanted pregnancies low, uh, then that's something that I'm aboard on. So I, I don't know. Did that, do you think we're still going to have a show next week? Yeah, I think that was a great take. The idea that, um, yeah, the idea that the realistic sex ed the realistic access to birth control. I mean, right. I understand from a religious conservative 1800s perspective, it's really easy to say every, nobody should have sex and everybody should be married. And that's just not the, I mean, we have to evolve with the, the culture that we live in and to pretend like people are going to not have sex to pretend like people don't need realistic sex education is, I mean, it's a joke. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I, th- I think what you said. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you'll be canceled for that. And and if so, hey, cancel us. We can survive. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you made a great point with that, though. And, and, and I mean, there's no part of me that's shocked that I think we're actually on the same page. That personally, it's not something that we would necessarily advocate for our partners doing. But from a political point of view, we think that it should be legal. So I, I think that's a far cry from maybe a decade or two ago where the arguments discussions that we would have had. So I, I think that's kind of cool just on a personal perspective to see, but yeah, again, I, I think it's being adaptive to the culture th- that we're living in. And I think it's about looking at what's, what's really going to achieve the goal. So like you said, if, if the goal is to not have abortions to push on people that, that they shouldn't have sex and to not teach people about ways to actually be responsible is not going to achieve that goal. But if your goal is to reduce unwanted pregnancies, to teach people what they can do to prevent those, I, I think that's going to absolutely help you get to your goal. So yeah, I mean, let's, let's cut 1% of the military budget and, you know, 
increase the budget for for sex ed in public schools by you know 850 million percent with that one percent of the military budget let's cut the military budget yep i don't think i can say that enough but yeah cut a, cut a couple of bucks there and, and give people realistic education in school absolutely yeah so uh the last thing i want to make on this comment is i tried to do some reading um on this topic again it's something that you know is again i recognize it's very personal emotional you know something that's you know you know your religion if a religion plays a large uh part in your life you feel very strongly about it um and there was a column that particularly spoke to me and i think it might speak to people on all sides of this issue um and it does have a religious bent so i realize it's not for everyone everyone uh but the article is in the national catholic reporter and uh it's by this guy named michael sean winters from january 22nd and the title of the article is on both sides of abortion debate catholics largely fall short and I'm not going to read any portion of this article. It was very good. It was very thought-provoking for me. But basically, the point of this article is both sides have plenty to work on. Uh, you know, if you're that person that's, uh, you know, very pro-life and you, you take it to the point where you feel strongly enough to protest outside of an abortion clinic um, and, and, and talk to people and try and, you know, maybe... Uh, persuade them that hey maybe this isn't the option for you and there's you know different options that might be better for you you know to also keep in mind you might be a champion in this aspect and that's very good but you also have to do all these things that we've talked about earlier in this episode you can't be for separating kids in cages uh from their families just because they're they're not citizens of the u.s you can't be for the death penalty uh, you can't be for not taking care of the poor and disadvantaged in our society. Um, because, you know, then you just, you move from being, you know, somebody who calls himself pro-life to you're really just somebody who's pro-birth. And then on the flip side, you know, maybe something that I need to personally consider in my own life is, you know, you say you're for all of these great things of a strong social safety net and, and helping out all these people. Well, who is more, you know, powerless and disadvantaged than an unborn baby in their mother's womb. You know, there's really, you know, they're completely dependent on their mother. You know, they're the ultimate uh, life that needs to be protected. And to say, you know, you can't just ignore this issue, uh, you know, because it doesn't align with everything else that you believe in, that this is still an issue that you need to reckon with. Um, so I thought it was a very um, smart, thought-provoking article. And I would recommend it, but uh, I, I don't have anything more to say about this very complicated issue. No, I think we've dodged enough minefields and we can move on. Um, just one quick hit. The death penalty is a joke. If you think our legal system works, we could probably do an entire, again, three or four episodes on what a joke our legal system is. But uh, the death penalty is terrible. And that's really all I have to say about that. Uh, yeah, just to add on to it, I have a strong moral objections to the death penalty, but just just take it, just take some data, just take some logic. The death penalty does not dissuade people from committing violent crimes, and the death penalty often is more expensive than putting somebody in jail for a very very long amount of time. So, I just I know again, there's people who have personal experience having been victims of violent crimes. I'm not trying to minimize their feelings, but to me, there's just a whole lot of arguments. Uh, again, there, if, if one person is falsely executed, 
for a crime they didn't commit. That obviates the whole death penalty, get rid of it. Also not a fan. I also think if only one person, even a year, was falsely executed, that would be a vast improvement over what we have now. Yep. Because I think it's probably far more than, than one innocent person a year gets executed. So quick hit. I think we're on the same page with that, so we can move on real quick on that one. Another quick hit for you, student loan debt and forgiveness. So mm-hmm. you and I were raised in a generation, which again, I don't, I don't hold our parents accountable for this because it certainly sounded good when we were in, in high school going down to college. But we were told, hey, if you want a good job – you got to go to college, which is still, I mean, there's still a lot of economic data that says that people with college diplomas are going to earn more over their life, yada, yada, yada. But I would say our generation is a generation that maybe too many people went to college. People uh, maybe didn't make necessarily the greatest decisions. Um, I know that we went to school. <laughs> Andy's pointing to himself and I, I would object. Um but, uh, you know, we went to school with people who were from out of state and the amount of, uh, you know, loans they had to take out for out of state tuition is just mind boggling. Uh, you know, obviously, if you can afford to do so, you're going into a profession where you're going to make a shit ton of money, you know, go for it, go where you want to. Um, but our generation is now saddled with a ridiculous amount of student loan debt. And I don't know what we're going to do about it. Yeah, I mean, I... I... This isn't one that I was necessarily as prepared for, but yeah, I, I think there's a lot of issues. There's a lot of issues with, with higher education in general. I think it maybe sells a little bit of a dream and a myth to people that it, that isn't exactly what the reality turns out to be. And, and I think a lot of people take student loans thinking it's a good investment. And I think it's absolutely marketed as a good investment and it's sold as a good investment to both prospective students and also their parents that want the best for kids. And then people end up saddled with debt that they're paying on for the night. I mean, for their entire working lives. I mean, I I don't think, I would hope it's not controversial to, to say that there's definitely some reform needed in that area. Oh, I don't, I don't think so at all. Um, And I do want to give a shout out to my parents right now. I'm sure I know at least that, that one of them listens and I'm sure they're probably like, what the hell is going on or whatever. Well, they stopped listening after what you had to say about the abortion. So <laughs> they're not hearing this, but go on. If you are listening, you do get amazing props for, you know, I was going into college. I was like, oh, what do I want to major in? And I definitely flirted with some kind of more esoteric uh, options. And they they always grounded me in a, what are you actually going to do with this degree? What kind of job are you going to come out with? What are you going to do for the rest of your life? You know, what is this degree going to prep you for? Um, and then kind of, you know, that was very, those were very wise words that steered me into a direction. Uh, granted, I didn't uh, get to there via the most straightforward route. I went into a, a major that almost always requires a professional school, medical school, grad school. Went to grad school for a year and hated it and dropped out. Um, but I eventually made my way to uh, to a pretty decent outlook, so. Um, but yeah, keeping in mind, you know, I think that's a vice that, you know, a lot of people, uh, could have used, you know, you can still major or minor in something that, you know, you personally really, really like or really want to do, but then also maybe, you know, supplement it with something else that might have a more, 
practical application um and edu- you know education for the sake of education is certainly worthwhile um but i know for me it was always my goal was always to have a job but family was first um i wanted my job to just be a means to you know support my family and give them the life i wanted to and if i also happened to enjoy it and find meaning in it it would that was just the cherry on top and luckily i'm in that situation so no, definitely some good advice from my parents. Shout out to mom and dad. Well, I hope they're still listening if they are. Hi, Mr. And Mrs. Soul. <laughs> oh, so yeah. Uh, again, I, you know, we've kind of touched on this a little bit in previous episodes. Um, I, oh, there's, there's no way to make this sound good. I got paid to go to school for undergrad and graduate school. I left with zero student loan debt. I would certainly be okay with some kind of policy that gets put in place to wipe away some portion of our generation's overwhelming student loan debt. So our generation can buy houses, get married, start their families, contribute to the economy in other more meaningful ways. No argument here. All right, Andy, what are, are, are we missing anything? I, again, I don't have any major uh, economic issues. I'm not going to do a Paul Ryan and Rand uh, philosophical debate about you know social security being a crutch for people and that you know in the economy should just kind of exist on itself you have anything else that you want to add to this uh plate of uh issues no like i mean like we touched on before i, I think if we wanted to talk about healthcare reform if we want to talk about the 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 way that healthcare is paid out, I think we could probably, at least from a behavioral health perspective, we I could probably do two or three episodes that would just be me ranting about what a disaster it is. But I, I think we've probably, you know, the the two or three people that are left listening to us here at this point have, have probably gone through enough of of what we've had to say today. So we we can probably head towards wrapping it up at this point. Yeah, so to start closing this out, Andy, again, this has been a very heavy show, by far the heaviest that we've done so far. Certainly, we will not have very many shows like this, at least all the way throughout. Uh, but we wanted to give the people, you know, a a sampling of what we kind of believe personally. I do, again, you add all of these things together and... I do believe it reveals somewhat of your character, of your thinking, of your, uh, you know, what you prioritize in life and what you think is important. Um, so I do think it, it is worthwhile to have these conversations. You know, again, certainly there's, you know, nights I come home from work and I want to just turn the basketball game on and just be entertained um, and not have to think about all the problems in the wide world. You know, but again, this is the reality of America in 2020. We, we are great. We can continue to be great, but we have a lot, a lot, a lot of work to do uh, to improve. Absolutely. I, I feel the same way. I, I mean, the only reason I think we talked about this today, and I think the only reason that we'll continue to talk about these big issues going forward is, is because we have to. And while it's the politicians and it's the leaders that are going to make a lot of the decisions that, that affect us going forward, the only way change is really going to happen is if every one of us maybe takes a little bit different perspective and, and is open to hearing what other people have to say and changing the way that we think and, and making decisions based on science and logic based rather than, you know, feelings or what we read on Facebook. So 
I think it's important to, to continue having these discussions. And like you said, hopefully, you know, we won't have too many episodes that are quite this heavy going forward, but, but I think you and I both felt like it was important to have these conversations because these, these, these things matter. So hopefully anybody that's listening can listen to what we have to say. And, and I think the best thing that you can do with this information is, you know, whether you agree with us or disagree with us, continue the conversation with, with the people around you. you feel free to interact with us on, on social media if you think something we said was real good or real bad. But I, I think it's important to just keep the conversation going. And, and these things matter for all of us going forward. Amen to that, Andy. Amen to that. On a later note, Andy, uh, we wanted to close the show out by uh, giving another list. Uh, we're going to do our top five Toledo restaurants. It's the list of the week. All right, Andy, go ahead and lead us off. We'll alternate. Um, your your restaurants are in a ranking. Mine are kind of just going to be more uh, free-floating. Uh, but hit us with your first one. All right. So I'm going to hit you with a bonus before we hit number five on the list. So bonus, I'm gonna go with a food truck because it's not a restaurant in Toledo. I'm gonna go with Rusty's Road Trip. Great perch, great French fries. They only do a couple things, but they do it really well. So I'm gonna give a shout out to Rusty's Road Trip. But to get the, the legit top five started, number five on my list is Jackie's Depot. It's an ice cream shop in downtown Maumee. You blink, you might miss it. They have the best turtle sundae in the city. They hand make their own vanilla ice cream. Jackie's Depot in Maumee. If you haven't tried it, get there before they close for the season. Andy, you know, I have a sweet tooth and I love me some ice cream. So the next time I'm in your neck of the woods, uh, certainly have to check that out. Uh, as far as food trucks go, we also, uh, back in the day, you know, before the world was on fire, we also had food trucks at our work and Rusty's was one of them. And I definitely can vouch for that uh, delicious food there. Okay. Um, first, one, first one on my list, uh, I'm going to go to a breakfast place. So I think breakfast is the worst meal of the day uh, i am in the huge minority in my family uh, my family loves to eat breakfast and they would eat it all three meals of the day if they could um, i would take a sandwich or a pizza or any number of things before i would take breakfast food pretty much all the time but the mayberry diner in sylvania down the street from our house uh, on centennial they have a chicken wrap that they sell for breakfast it's chicken scrambled eggs feta cheese and it is just a delicious delicious way to start my day it's not really like a traditional breakfast food which is why i like it i order it every single time i go there and it never disappoints me so breakfast spot bay mary's but mayberry's diner that's going to be my number five i've had the rack you're speaking of it is definitely a good one and so I, the other location, I, I live within the distance. If the wind is just right, I can catch that. Like on a weekend morning, I can catch the grease and the eggs and a little bit of the coffee. And it, it kind of always makes me hungry. If I walk out the door and the winds are blowing just right, you can catch that with the Mayberry Diner. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Give us your number four. Number four on my list is Rosie's Italian. Also a kind of a, a South Toledo spot. So it's a little bit nicer of a place. It's somewhere you can, you know, Take, take the lady for a date. Uh, they fly in their fish every day from Florida. So that's definitely a positive on, on the seafood side. And then their hot mama bread is pretty legendary. Decent list of rotating taps. So Rosie's, if you're looking to have a nice night out. It has been a very long time since I've been to Rosie's. I do have uh, positive 
feelings towards it, uh, but I it's been so long that I can't really speak to it. Um, Andy's list as we go through, I'm looking at these lists. Andy's list is going to be the places you want to go, sit down, bring your family. This looks like a quality list. I just <laughs> there's just some random Toledo places that I have a strong personal affection to, and that's going to bring me to the next restaurant on my list, which is really more of a bar. And that's the beer stube. Andy, we spent a lot of time at the beer stube over the years. I've been there. I'm not sure I can remember most of those times, but I remember going there a couple of times. Yeah. So the beer stube is uh, a place where we have done a lot of trivia. They have karaoke. They have pool there. Um, My most memorable beer stube moment where I was sober was the beer stube had a, a couple of different food challenges. And there was one night that I, I had not waited the appropriate amount of time to have dinner. It was maybe like four o'clock or so. And uh, there was a patty melt challenge there. It was like a nine and a half minute record to eat like a double patty melt with a full basket of fries and coleslaw, I believe was the challenge. And I just didn't take it seriously enough. I was talking a bunch of shit while I was doing it. And I ended up being like maybe 45 seconds over uh, but the food's there. Food there is delicious. The atmosphere is a it's a really fun place to hang out. Uh, that's going to be number four on my list. Solid choice. So heading to to number three on my list, it's we're going to move out of South Toledo for the first time. I'm li- on my list, and that is QQ Kitchen. It is on Secor near Central. They are only open on the weekdays. It's definitely a place that's probably better for lunch than dinner. Um, and, and the no weekends is killer because it's the kind of place you can get the craving for. And then what if it's Saturday? It's kind of like that Chick-fil-A. You, you just got to wait till they're going to be open. So great Asian food. Everything is always fresh. Everything is homemade. The drunken noodles, I would recommend. The lettuce wraps are better than P.F. Chang's. QQ Kitchen, best Asian restaurant in Toledo. Wow, better than P.F. Chang's. I think you've offended uh, two of your old roommates by saying that. They can come at me. (laughs) One at a time, though, because if they come at me together, I stand no chance. (laughs) Well, Andy, when the pandemic's over, you're going to have to take me to the spot because uh, fresh Asian food sounds delicious. Um, And that's something that I rarely get to participate with uh, based on the palates of the rest of my family. So we'll definitely have to hit hit them up, uh, you know, once it's safe to do so. Live from QQ Kitchen. Live from QQ Kitchen. Uh, number three for me, uh, I'm going with a pizza spot, just a generic old pizza spot. Marco's Pizza is originally the first restaurant is in Oregon, right outside Toledo. And it is the Stoll family go-to place for pizza to the point where, you know, people will come over and they say, well, you know, where do you want to get pizza from? And they think there's some kind of choice to be made. But there really isn't in our household. It's Marco's all the time. It's a nice, thick piece of pizza. Uh, it's particularly good. The next day is one of the better uh, cold pizzas, leftover pizzas, uh, places that we get. I, you know, I, I'd say maybe we get it once a week or once every other week. Just a staple in the Stoll household. And I love it. Marco's is absolutely iconic Toledo place so another olfactory story so the the trail that where i run has a marco's pizza that backs up to it and i try to get out earlier in the mornings because if i wait until the afternoon when the grease of the pizza starts going i'll run my four miles and i'll get home and be like i gotta run back to marco's and get some pizza oh and that completely eliminates the whole point of the run so and then some 
Alrighty, Andy, you're number two. Number two is uh, Charlie's. So there, it's kind of like a local Toledo chain. I think there's maybe three or four, maybe five of them. There's one in Perrysburg. There's one in Maumee, one on Central Avenue. So it's, it's a great place. Um, just solid. It's a good place to take the family. They got a big menu. So if you you're kind of feeling the greek food but the kids maybe want the the chicken nuggets and and the burgers because they do have a great kids menu so charlie's it's a great family place get the chicken euro you won't be disappointed the fries when they come out fresh they are some of the better fries in the city so charlie's uh all right where are we at i think i'm at number two um this is probably a pretty stereotypical Toledo place if you were to ask people i'm gonna go with mancy's steakhouse for number two um, Nancy's Steakhouse is uh, right down the street from where I lived, um, but I had never eaten there until my rehearsal dinner for my wedding, um, and my parents uh, paid for everybody to have a nice dinner, and man, delicious steak, uh, beautiful uh, interior, just a really nice place to have a big uh, family gathering, um, and we had a delicious meal there. So definitely on the expensive side, but it was a very uh, memorable meal. So shout out to your parents if they're listening. I still remember that meal. That was an absolutely delicious meal. I think you hit on it too with the decor. I mean, that play, it feels like you're walking back into like a 30s mobster movie that you're going to be looking at a table, you know, in the corner and there's going to be, you know, Whitey Bulger making some deals, Al Capone evading some taxes. So just the feel of that restaurant is, is definitely a legendary Toledo spot. Yeah, and uh, the storeroom right next to the restaurant actually burned down, uh, and, the, and the exterior of the building was disfigured for a while. I thought this was like, I was like, oh, this was probably like 2010. It was 2003, which really made me feel old. But yeah, it, the build the building is not in, you know, the nicest part of town, and you wouldn't think that it was, you know, this really really nice restaurant. But you walk inside and. A uh, beautiful interior and a uh, wonderful uh, steak dinner. All right, Andy, hit us with your number one. Number one, this place has been a monster lately. They've been expanding like mad. I was afraid when they expanded that maybe they were doing a little too much too fast, but they definitely have the staying power. They give back to the Toledo community. Dietz Barbecue. You ever been there? I have not been there. That's another place we're going to have to put on the list once once we're allowed out of our houses again. It's a simple menu. They only do a couple of things, but they do them well, like every good barbecue place should. The sides, they have these things, they call them little reds. They're little red skin potatoes, maybe golf ball size. They serve them cold with this dill ranch dip that's creamy, delicious. This is a place you can take the kids because they do the great mac and cheese, but the meats are just out of this world. I haven't had anything there that's bad. They, they expanded into like this nice little chopped salad where you can get the the pulled chicken on it. It's it's a great Toledo spot. I think they do a great job of giving back to the community. They were taking care of our frontline healthcare workers kind of when we were really in the thick of COVID, and I respect them a lot for that. So Dietz Barbecue, number one on the list. Come at me. I, I don't have anything to say against that. A good barbecue place is worth its weight in gold. So um, for sure, we'll have to add that to the list. All right, Andy, before I get my number one, I want to finish a thought from a previous episode. So we mentioned some overrated places in the state of Ohio. We, we mentioned Jenny's ice cream and Skyline Chili. Well, if you had to ask a random American, and if they were to happen to know 
a restaurant that was associated with Northwest Ohio, what would they say, Andy? Tony Pacos. Tony Pacos, indeed. And for everyone listening, all I have to say is could not think of a more overrated place to go eat a meal. We just got canceled. <laughs> we we are canceled. I just don't understand. Like I I can just pull out some hot dogs out of my refrigerator and warm them up. And I mean, why do I want to go out to a restaurant, get a hot dog, have some you know poop looking chili sauce dumped on it? It's just not that good. It's not a it's not a way I want to spend my evening. The chili sauce is decent. We'll get the canned stuff at home sometimes, and I'll make dogs that end up tasting better than they would at the restaurant. But the sauce is the the sauce is the best part. But I think you might have something against hot dog restaurants in general. Yeah, Rudy's also not on my list, not even close to being on my list. So I think this is really just a war on hot dogs, not a war on any specific place in Toledo. But see, I like a hot dog. Like if I'm at a barbecue and my choice is like eat two hamburgers or four hot dogs. I'm going to pick four hot dogs. Like, let's go a little onion, some mustard. Let, let, let's just go. But man, it just doesn't do it for me. So uh, I'm pretty sure this is going to be our last episode. Uh, nobody's going to be listening to us anymore, but Paco's completely overrated. The hottest of takes. All right. So my number one, which I would not have said this a decade ago, but it just holds a warm, sentimental place in my heart. And that is Home Slice, downtown Salido, which is really more of a bar. But, you know, I'm sure it's slightly clouded by the fact that I often partook when I was, you know, at least buzzed. But the pizza at Home Slice is phenomenal. Yeah, I think we're going to disagree on this one. So why don't you go on your Home Slice rant and see if you can turn me? I. I... I agree that there's some memories there to put it in the rest that the restaurants of Toledo Pantheon. I could probably think of 15 pizza places that are better than home slice, but go ahead. Okay. There aren't 15 places that are better than home slice there. I'm sure there are several, um, but this is just going to be one of those places that always just, you know, takes me back uh, down memory lane. So on the very first night that I uh, met in quotation marks, my wife, Hung out with my wife. This was one of the pit stops on our uh, bar crawl that night. Uh, I was completely clueless as to that there was anything brewing. Um, but uh, I later found out that, yes, okay, maybe there was something there. So that always is going to make me feel good. We went there after my rehearsal dinner the night before my wedding. Uh, my kind of last call to have a beer or two with the guys before I became a married man. Uh, and that just doesn't even include all of the... Uh, you know, all the various hijinks, people, you know, threatening to jump over to adjacent roofs, uh, people talking to, you know, potential, you know, part owners about maybe, you know, talking about some illicit drugs. Um, you know, there's so many memories there. It's it's not a, it's not really a great place to go drink. It's pretty empty and, and doesn't really have much of a scene, but the pizza the beer, the memories, that's going to win my sentimental number one. I'm with you on the beer and memories. <laughs> the pizza is good. The pizza is underrated. I don't know if it's you know really worth it to go there after hours. There have certainly been some times we've left, we've left that bar and uh, prayed that our car, we actually did park on the same side of the street as the bar because otherwise it might be a little dicey getting to our cars, but... 
I, I'm, I'm largely just doing this to offend my wife who is going to be editing this and yell at the top of her lungs, but she hates Home Slice. Uh, but really, it's, it's where the memories are. If that's the first place that you guys decided to go on this journey together and she hates it, what's that say about you? <laughs> it says that she has poor taste in bars. But great taste in men. But great taste in men. All right, Andy. So this was, uh, you know, just something a little, uh, you know, lighthearted to brighten the end of this very heavy episode. Uh, anything else you want to say before we close this one out? No, just a thank you. If you stuck around far enough to uh, to get through all the heavy issues talk that we gave you, hopefully the top five Toledo lists were enjoyable for you and maybe you learned a new spot. If you tried it, give us a shout out. But uh, yeah, thanks for sticking with us, guys. All right, Andy, this has been another episode of Buckeye Dads Discuss, and we'll catch you guys later. Stay safe, Ohio. Buckeye Dads Discuss is a podcast hosted by Andy and Josh. It's edited by April. You can find us on social media at Buckeye Dads on Twitter, and you can email the show at Buckeye Dads Discuss at gmail.com.